Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Adapting, where we're exploring an issue that many of us have spoken about behind closed doors and now trying to bring out into the public discourse, and that is, why on earth would you want to become a Jewish educator today? In this episode with Aviva Lau from Paradise Institute, we talk about the many reasons why people are not choosing to be Jewish educators, but we want to flip the conversation. We want to talk about today, and we do talk about why being a Jewish educator can be such a meaningful profession, why we need to work as a community, turn around the value proposition and make more people want to become Jewish educators. And it's not just an answer of we need to pay them more. It's not just an answer of we want to give them more respect. We need to do both of those things. But at the fundamental core of it is, we are basically trying to say in today's episode that if we as a community believe in the power of Jewish education, then the only way to bring that power to fruition is to ensure that there is a pipeline of talented Jewish educators to do that holy work. And if you're going to take anything away from today's episode, I think that's the message that Aviva and I want to bring to all of you today, that Jewish educators and Jewish education is a profession that we really need to elevate as a community. I hope you enjoy today's episode of Adapting as much as I do. This is Adapting, the future of Jewish education, a podcast from the Jewish Education Project, where we explore the big questions, challenges, and successes that define Jewish education. I'm David Breifman. Aviva Laura is a Jewish educator with over 25 years of experience in curriculum development, classroom teaching, school administration, educational consulting, and teacher training. She is currently the director of Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, and you'll soon see why this is really critical for today's discussion. So Aviva, thank you so much for joining us on Adapting Today. Thank you so much for having me, David. So I would like to start by learning a bit about yourself and your journey and how you decided to become a Jewish educator. Yeah. I am not exactly sure I could say that I ever decided to become a Jewish educator. I would say I probably was always going to become a Jewish educator. I was always going to become a teacher, but I didn't actually know it and I didn't have that decisive moment. I did know myself. I have always known myself as a really avid Jewish learner. I could tell you that, you know, when I I'm not sure why I didn't know this beforehand, but when I was in yeshiva and I was about to go to college, somebody let me know that you could major in Jewish studies. And that was like, oh my God, the biggest relief of my life. Like I didn't know you could do that. But that that's about being a Jewish learner, not a Jewish educator. And I think that there's a really big difference. And just thinking back, somewhere in my mid-20s, somebody asked me to officiate at their wedding. Um, And I said, why would you want me to do that? And they said, well, because you have the power of blessing. And I was like, what in God's name does that mean? But I think what that meant at that time and what it means still today, hopefully, is that they felt I had the power to give meaning or to bring to life, to make robust Jewish values, Jewish ritual, Jewish text. And that, I think, was, if there was a moment, that was the moment where I realized, yeah, I am not just a Jewish learner. I am a Jewish educator. Aviva, thanks so much for sharing that. And I think our listeners are going to become really comfortable with why I'm asking you these questions and why I'm probing so deeply on all of these issues about how people become Jewish educators, because I think that is really going to be the essence of our discussion today. Now, just to further contextualize all of this, I think we need to set the setting now by telling us a bit about the institution you currently work for. Tell us a bit about Pardes. 
I'm going to answer your question about what Pardes is like by doing the most Pardes-like thing and just quickly sharing a Jewish text, I think. First, okay, I can tell you that um, we are an institution of Jewish learning, a Beit Midrash for adults, people who are you know, post-college, a Beit Midrash for all types of Jews. Anybody who wants to learn Torah is invited to come and learn Torah here at Pardes in Jerusalem. I was looking at this text from Maimonides and the Mishnah Torah which I think he must base on a Mishnah in, in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of the Fathers, where, and I'll just, you know, paraphrase pretty quickly. He says that the people of Israel were crowned with three crowns, the crown of Torah, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of kingship, right? And so the crown of priesthood went to Moses's brother Aaron, who was the first high priest, and the crown of kingship went to King David. But, and here's the main the crux of the text, the crown of Torah is set aside, waiting and ready for all Jews. As it says, the Torah which Moses commanded us is an inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And then Maimonides says, whoever wants it, come and take it, which to me is like the biggest mic drop, Maimonides, well done, right? He is saying Torah is for anybody who wants it. All Jews, anyone who identifies as a Jew, this is their legacy and they own it. They should own it. And that's what Pardes is all about. We want everyone to feel ownership over their own Torah, over their own Jewish life. So that's funny. When you th- said you were about to give me a Jewish text about Pardes, I thought you were going to give me the, the Jewish text about the name Pardes and how Pardes means orchard and finishing that sentence. I think that might also be a bit of a clue for today's audience as well. So what does Pardes mean in Jewish learning? All right. So not only does it mean literally an orchard, it's an acronym for four different levels of Jewish learning, Pshat, Drash, Remez, and Sod the basic level, a next level, the next level, and the next level down to the uh, deepest, you know, secrets of the Torah level. But it, it also, it really speaks to this idea that people will come in at any level. People will find meaning at different levels and it belongs to all of them. So I think we're getting at the at the crux of today's discussion by understanding who you are and what Pardes stands for. And I think it's one thing to be able to say that Torah is the the right or the inheritance for every Jew who wants to access it. And that's why organizations like Pardes exist in the world. But you and I were having this conversation online and say, it's one thing to make text and Torah available, but there's one critical, I don't know if it's a gap, but there's one critical part of the ecosystem of Jewish education, which doesn't always seem to be hitting the mark. And we were talking about what it takes to be a Jewish educator or a Jewish teacher these days. And we were sitting there over emails and discussing like, it seems to be a bit of an issue today whereby there just might not be enough qualified Jewish educators out there to do this holy work that you're talking about. And both of us thought this would be a really important topic for the two of us to discuss. So talk to me a bit about your thoughts about the teacher shortages you see it or what it takes to become a Jewish educator, and then we'll delve deeper into some of the issues behind all of that. So there is absolutely a teacher shortage. I mean, I've got to say that we know it's been called everything from, you know, a problem to a challenge to a crisis. The fact that nationally, at the national level, not talking about Jewish day schools, but just in general in the United States, there are 20 or 30% fewer people going into teaching than a decade ago. And that seems to be really mirrored in the Jewish day school world as well. And 
So we're kind of in this desperate need stage, and maybe we need to step back a second. And you know, I know that you have talked a lot about this on this podcast, like you know whether day schools are the end all and be all, whether the Jewish community today really needs that. I am a wholehearted believer in the power of Jewish day school learning. That does not mean that I think that every single person who goes through Jewish day school for 12 years or however many years they do is going to end up the most committed Jew. That's not what I'm saying. I think that day school has the strongest possibility of creating, generating knowledgeable Jews. And being a knowledgeable Jew is only the first step in my mind, right? But we really, really need Jewish day schools. And we therefore really, really need teachers of Jewish studies in Jewish day schools. But there are not enough people going in into the field. They're just not. And for several reasons. So let's talk about this issue. And we'll take for, for the sake of today's discussion, we're not even going to challenge these premises. We're going to say straight off the bat, Jewish day schools are really, really important and a fundamental part of the Jewish educational ecosystem in North America and globally. And two, we're going to just say straight off the bat that for Jewish day schools to exist, they need quality Jewish educators to be within those systems. Great. Given. Why are there so few people going into Jewish education today? Now, here's for the listeners. We are not going to spend the, today's episode lamenting this decline in educators. We are actually going to talk about what we actually need to be doing as a community to increase the number, but we need to analyze the problem today. And we need to understand what we're talking about. And I thought no one better than Aviva to talk about today. Like, why are there so few people going into Jewish education today? And why is this such a problem we need to be grappling with? Can I be really subversive here? Well, I think we need to get a bit blunt with this whole system because it's like, in terms of the conversation we're having, we can keep going around in circles, but unless we name what's really taking place, I don't think we're going to get at it because like, we know that society and the Jewish community as a whole keeps saying, the problem can be solved with education, no matter what the problem is, by the way, right? Like, we keep saying, and it's almost become like a platitude and rhetoric, so I think I need you to become subversive or at least cut to the crux of it in order for us to get to the real conversation here. All right, so I'm going to say three things. Number one, People don't want to work as hard as people used to. People, for whatever reason, and we can be, I can certainly be an armchair psychologist, but I'm not going to pretend to, but it really feels like people do not want to be put in positions that could give them lives of great meaning, but are actually just require a lot of grit. It's just not something that we are necessarily training the next generation to be okay with or welcome right? So I think that fewer people are going into teaching because it's a hard job. I think that fewer people are going into teaching and not specifically in Jewish day schools, but in general, because they are not making enough money. There are ways to have a career in which you're going to make a lot more money. There was an article just this past week, I think it was in the New York Times, that the headline was, you need $100,000 just to get by here, right? And there was a line that was like, you have to you have to bring home well north of six figures to be able to live without worrying about basic expenses. Okay. So yeah, that's a quote. I wasn't paraphrasing that. And that is is for anybody who's living in, I mean, I'm I'm talking to you, you're in New York, so I'm talking about the New York area, but that's for anybody. That is not for a Jew who wants to send their kid to a Jewish day school or to a camp or to buy kosher food, do whatever it is that Jews are doing, right? So there is not enough money that you can earn as a day school teacher in order to pull people in, right? And the third reason, I think some people would be on the fence about this, but I'm just going to say it. I think that our community does not look at teachers in the same way as our community looks at people who become 
doctors or finance people or lawyers. Teachers don't get the same respect. And why would somebody want to go into a career where they're just not going to be respected? Okay. I don't think I can um, tackle the money situation on today's episode. Although, let me just put it out there. If you are involved with Jewish education and you're involved in Jewish day school education, pay your teachers more, pay them what they deserve, and at least pay them competitive wages with the non-Jewish education sector out there. So at least we're on par with what's taking place in the rest of society, period. Amen. But let's talk about the other two. The other two, I think we have a bit more of a, of a handle on. Let's talk about the community one, because here's the example that was put to me over and over again, actually, but I heard it specifically last week at a gathering talking about the educator pipeline. The family is sitting around for Shabbos dinner, and they're talking about what their children do and what they aspire to do, and exactly what you just said. Parents are proud their child is going off to do one of those more preferred professions, but when it comes to education, it doesn't even crack a mention as a possible respected career in the community. But this, there's an incongruity here which doesn't always make sense to me in terms of we always say that if this is so important, why don't we establish professionals to actually be able to do this important, this holy work? So what would be your, like, your, you're trying to reframe the job of a Jewish educator? How would you create the value proposition to say, no, this is something that the community should deeply respect? And how do we actually begin to do that transformation within our community? So I think there's a reframing that we have to do. I want to just, you know, go back to something you said before. Parents want their kids to do, you know, to go into those more lucrative professions. But when we ask somebody, who was one of those people from your childhood or your adolescence who had such a strong influence on you? People are invariably going to mention somebody in an educational capacity, right? They're not going to say, my parents' accountant was so, so important to my life. I mean, they're going to say a teacher or a youth group counselor or, you know, somebody who taught them something or, or brought meaning to their life. So I think that there's something about raising the profile in the community, you know, really saying to the Jewish community, look, we have to put our proverbial money and our actual money where our mouths are, right? We actually, if we really want there to be strong, robust, thick Jewish living and Jewish learning in our communities, we actually have to raise the profile of Jewish educators. We actually have to say, yeah, those are the people we look up to. Those are the people who we are going to, you know, say thank you to and appreciate. I'm stuck here a bit on part of what you're framing here. And I'm not sure how much I want to completely push it with you, but I want to go one step further because I think if I was to ask question of parents about what they want most for their children and who they want the role models in their lives to be, they would say people that contribute to making those kids successful, thrive, healthy, whatever the, the next part of that sentence might be in the world. So often when I ask the question, I hear about sporting coaches, for example, that help their children excel at a particular sport or someone who really guided them through a particular crisis they were going through and got them to the next level. And I'm wondering here, with the answer to your previous question, like, is it the teacher that we need to be respecting more? Or is it Jewish content and knowledge that we need to be expressing and really having more of an emphasis on? So it could be a chicken and an egg here where it's actually parents not actually valuing the content as much. And therefore, both of these things become part of the same conundrum. Okay, that's certainly true. And I think that there's 
a huge amount of work that needs to go into the Jewish communities caring about Jewish content, caring about Jewish text, caring about Jewish ritual, seeing the values that underpin all of those things. That's for sure. But what I'm saying is even for those people who actually care about those things, they need to see and say out loud and acknowledge that the people in their children's lives who are contributing to the growth of their children in in terms of spirituality, in terms of care, in terms of humanity, in terms of empathy, those are their teachers, right? The people who are inculcating, to use a word that's not such a great word, but who are giving over to their kids the things that they want them to have, those are the teachers. Yeah, and of all the things you've said, these are not the most troubling parts of what you said, because I think the most troubling part, which is still settling with me now, is that if people don't want to work so hard, they're never going to enter into this profession. So let's just have the conversation. Like, have we made being an educator today such a difficult job that makes it like, I mean, this is like, now I'm just expressing so much gratitude to all the educators out there who are doing this work, but Jesus, we're making it tough for them. And there are so many reasons, like, why has the role of an educator become so much more difficult today? And this is like, not not just pandemic, but pandemic might have exacerbated this, uh, you know, tenfold. So a part of me is now just professing extreme gratitude for all the educators out there. But I'm also asking the question, like, because before you said it as somewhat of a negative, you say people don't want to enter into the field. But I'm also asking, like, have we made the job of the educator just so darn difficult that now we're turning people off because of all the things we're asking them to do as well? And for me, that's a really, that's a really challenging question for me to even ask you. So, okay, I'm going to answer that question. But I want to put a plug in. I hope there are not a a lot of like children under a certain age or, or teenagers listening to this. I want to put a plug in for us as a world, (laughs) as a universe, going back to really working on resilience, you know, going to that like hard thing rule, that Angela Duckworth hard thing rule as a good thing, being someone who works hard. Today, I was looking for the word, how to say this in English, because I was able very easily to say it in Hebrew, hatmada, right? Hatmada means stick to like perseverance, working through something, even if it's hard. That's, to me, a Jewish value. Like people, let's go back to that. That is something, I mean, I say that to my kids all the time. One of my highest Jewish values, one of my highest values in life is working hard. So like, let's do something in our day schools, in our public schools, in social media to make people be willing to to work hard for important things again. That's number one. Now I'm going to go back to your question. Have we made it such a hard profession? Honestly, I'm going to talk about it for novice teachers. I'm not going to talk about it for more experienced teachers. I want to talk about, are we asking too much? of educators today? No. We are asking too much too quickly for novice teachers. We need to give them the opportunity to ease in. Like the way my mother always said to me, ease into the bath, you know, into the hot water, like you don't just like stick your, you know, body in and burn yourself. You need to do it slowly. I, I dream of a Jewish day school system where People would be working 50% jobs, you know, 50% um, and having 50% of their time to observe and to learn and to reflect and get paid for that first year of the easing in. I'm sure there's a different name for it other than the bath, you know, imagery. But 
that would allow people to to use the term fail forward. It's not even failing forward. It would allow people to not be overwhelmed, not drown in that first year. And number two, I think that in order to make sure that working as a as a novice teacher is a fair and doable prospect that schools need to do a little bit more of providing scaffolding and structure in terms of curriculum the fact that schools over and over i hear schools saying we don't have a curriculum we don't have a curriculum how could that be right so we are asking too much in the sense of you know come in and start teaching without your school handing you at least a set of standards. I really, I think that in that case, yes, we are asking too much of people to come in and, and um, you know, create all their materials from scratch. Aviva, I want to flip the conversation a bit now, and I want to really go from the, the perspective of why it's so great to be a teacher today and why it's so great to be a Jewish educator today in terms of talking about the deficits, that's somewhat, that's somewhat easy to do in, a, in, a, in some sense. But I think we need to be able to articulate strongly as a Jewish community, like high risk, high reward in some ways. And like what is so meaningful, particularly today, about being a Jewish educator? And if I were a young person today contemplating my career, why should I actually even contemplate thinking about Jewish education as a possible professional trajectory for me to embark on? There are so many reasons, honestly. I mean, Imagine having to go into a factory and do the same thing over and over every day. Going into a Jewish day school, going into Jewish education as a career, you are never going to do the same thing every day. It is never going to be boring. You get to spend your time with the most interesting people, asking the most honest questions, and all you do. All you need to do is be honest back with them. You get to spend your days in conversation. You get to spend your time. You get to spend your time caring for others. You get to spend your time living a life of meaning. You know, we're all talk always talking about, you know, people want to go into careers that are meaningful. People wanted to go, people want to live lives of meaning. People don't want to be alone. These, these are reasons. Just those reasons, you know, without even talking about the whole Jewish part of it, going into a school and being able to be that person for a kid, like 10 years later, they're going to remember, they're going to remember something that you did. And they're going to say, I remember it was so and so who told me that. And I remember it was so and so who made me feel really capable. That's the best thing in the world to be able to be a teacher. I remember there was a moment during the pandemic when society institutions were closing down. And I was sort of like, one of the first times that like society really paid attention to like, wow, we really need these nurses. Like these nurses are really the backbone of a community. And when we needed them to step up, they stepped up. And then there was a moment a few days or a few months later when it was like, wow, these educators really are our heroes. And it wasn't just because they allowed their parents to go back to work. It's because the work that they were doing with young people was like not only keeping them safe and healthy and sane and all of those things which we desperately needed, but like we then realized how important education, and I would say in that breath as well, socialization was so important for our young people. And it was the teachers out there who are holding the glue of society together in so many instances. I thought this was like the, the real silver lining of the pandemic. Finally, society would be able to say, wow, these teachers, these educators really are the heroes of the world in which we live in today. 
it seems like we're reverting back to something really quickly. Like, how do we we continue that momentum in ensuring that people see education as this profession that they really want to go into because they literally are not just changing lives, but changing the world as well? David, I really think it's all about framing and PR. Honestly, I think that if, you know, parents of kids in schools still know this to be true, right? They know how terrific the administration is in their day schools. They know how terrific their kids' teachers are. But we're talking about who's going to go into the career. So we're not, we're not talking about the people who already have careers and, and you know have kids in schools. It has to be a wider campaign, a campaign in colleges, a campaign across social media, something that says these people are our superheroes. You can be a superhero too. There, it, that's what it is. It's about frankly, spin. It's about putting the money out there to make a big splash. I honestly believe that. Yeah, you know, I've got this whole concept in mind that like all these people out there, they love being summer camp counselors. They love being youth movement professionals. If we could only convince like 2% of those population to want to contemplate Jewish education as a career, like they've already got the spark, they get it. Now we just need to convince them this could actually be a career that would actually be well on the way to getting there. But I know you're saying it's spin. I know you're saying it's marketing. There is also something though that we can't just get away on the basis of just like slogans and rhetoric. There is some training which needs to take place as well. So here I want to get into the essence of some of the work that you're doing today. And this is not just a plug for Pardes, although it can be a plug for Pardes because I'm also a proud alum of the program as well. But like, what is it about Pardes that you think once someone's got the bug, they've got the spirit, they want to do this, what happens at Pardes that gives them, I guess, the confidence and the competence to be able to go there and be such a great Jewish educator? There's something about the combination that we are looking for in the people who are coming to our teacher training programs and the people who we want to put out into the Jewish day school world. It's a combination of several different factors that is like the secret sauce. We believe that in order to be a really effective Jewish educator, you need to know a lot about Judaism. You really need to know a lot of Torah. That's number one. We also believe that to be an excellent Jewish educator, you need to be a really skilled, trained pedagogue. You need to know about teacher moves. You need to have practiced teacher moves. You can't just go in on your knowledge alone. We also believe that people who are going to be excellent Jewish educators are those who love children, right? That's why I said that whole thing at the beginning of our talk today about there being a different, a big difference between being a, a Jewish learner and a Jewish educator. Being a Jewish educator is not just about loving Torah. It's about loving, it's about loving the learners, right? And caring enough about the learners that you want to share with them everything that you find beautiful about Judaism. And the last thing, this is like maybe the secret, secret ingredient in the secret sauce, but it shouldn't be secret at all, is that we believe that an excellent Jewish educator is someone who sees all different types of Jews, as I said earlier, as real legitimate owners of Torah and Jewish tradition, and who thinks that there's something ideal about having different types of Jews talk to each other and um, you know, ask each other questions and have differences and learn from one another. That makes for a much deeper, thicker, more robust 
community, right? So for people who can see all of those types of people, uh, those types of learners as legitimate learners, and they want to be sharing with them and teaching them, that's the ultimate Jewish educator. And that's really what we're trying to, uh, to turn out. Have we lost the ability to disagree with one another or to push back against one another in a way that doesn't lead to the breakdown of these discussions? I mean, it's easy in an educational sense. Teacher comes into the room, their job is to teach the students what to know so the students absorb that knowledge. You're saying, hang on a second, that's actually not the purpose of education here. The purpose of education is hear what the teacher has to say and then push back as much as you can because you know what, I might not I might not agree with you and that's that's okay. I think that I mean, there's, there's several, there's, there's several different pieces. And we've always talked about this in education, right? We want to teach about particular Jewish content and we want to teach about particular Jewish practices and the ability to do certain things. Um, but the dispositions of Judaism, a huge one of which is listening to the other, disagreeing with the other, asking and asking and asking. That should be what happens in a classroom with respect, with love. Those things can happen. Do you think we need to give teachers more respect? <laughs> Here, I don't know if I've just like twisted your argument around to like to, to tongue tie us all, but it's almost like on one hand, we're saying the role of teaching is to make sure that people rebel against you or to push back against you. And now we still want them to have respect. I know these things are not mutually exclusive, but I am wondering if like part of this whole design, you need to have a lot of confidence to be an educator that's willing to say, I want my students to be challenged. And you know what? They might not agree with me, but I still need them to respect me. I think you're getting to one of the really integral parts about good education. I'm not sure if you have used the word integrity or not, but I think there's something about all of this, this humility, this integrity of the teacher, which is really, really important. I'm only pushing you on this because I'm wondering that it's actually these values of Jewish educators that we need to be highlighting more than your job is to transmit knowledge or your job is to continue the Jewish people. But if we're saying to people, your job is to lead a life of meaning and purpose and have integrity and to own respect, but also to be respectful of others, maybe these are the values that we should be pushing if we want to promote the field of Jewish education. Here, I'm just like, you know, speaking out loud without much thought, but like you're triggering a whole lot of thinking in my mind and hopefully for the listeners as well. Purpose, meaning, integrity. Those are all the things that I want teachers to teach my children, right? I want them to model for them those things so that they grow up with those values and with those dispositions. So I want teachers to really model those things. I want them to live those things. Part of that kind of integrity is, is yeah, having the confidence to say, I'm going to ask my questions. I'm going to put my ideas out there. And I'm going to believe and respect my students enough as human beings and as thinkers to come back at me with it. They have to do that with respect. It's talk to each other in the same way you want to be spoken to. You need to speak to them in that way and you need to teach them in that way. So that that sense of a classroom community is a place of respect and a place of questioning. Certainly those things are not mutually exclusive. Well, I guess the question about the mutual exclusivity here is important. The dichotomies are important because you're not saying it's either or, but you are raising an interesting question that is Jewish education the vehicle or is Jewish knowledge the vehicle that allows all of that to happen or is it the essence of, of the learning itself? And I hear you, I think what I'm hearing you say is 
it's and and that within the wisdom of Jewish canon, Jewish text, and Jewish learning, we have the ability to bring out all of these different topics. But I think you are also saying that you need to be a pretty masterful educator to be able to utilize both the knowledge of Jewish text and Jewish tradition in order to bring out all of those values as well. I think you're raising the bar for Jewish educators. I'm not running away from that, but I am hoping that many educators by listening today are also inspired to realize that this isn't just as simple as you knowing stuff, but it's also you knowing what to do with the stuff. And it's that it's that process which might be as important, perhaps even more important than the content itself as we're educating generations of young people every single day. I think that there really needs to be an alignment of form and function. I mean, so much about the way that Jewish learning happens, you know, in Chavruta and a certain type of Chavruta, not a Chavruta in which you are yelling, you know, at your at your your learning partner, where you're doing a bunch of different things at the same time. You are listening to and acknowledging what they are saying and really giving yourself time to take in what they say. It's giving yourself the opportunity to to question to challenge and to um to bolster what they've said. All of those things need to be taught, right? The form, the form of chavruta learning, different types of Jewish learning, those things need to be taught and talked about. The form then really reflects the function, which is a type of social emotional learning in which we are bolstering, caring, challenging in a respectful way. That's the way I think the world should be. So that's what I want my day school classroom to look like. So many people have spoken about the magic of Hevruta and studying in partnership with somebody. Are you able to like tell the audience here, like, what is it about the Hevruta study with one other person, you and them interlocking or banging heads against one another? Why do you think it's described often as being like a magical learning experience? There's something about creating a little bit of a bubble around a table where it's you and your chavruta and the text in between the two of you, where it's like you're making your own little world. And that is a magical thing. And you know that you have each other's backs, both in terms of, you know, helping one another. Like if I don't know a word, you're going to help me understand it. And if you don't know something, I'm going to help you understand it. And if I think that you are saying something that's really, really ridiculous, I'm going to tell you in a really loving way. It is a magical bubble that I would love to see, you know, like it's like a microcosm of the way I wish the world would be. So let's just say, Aviva, that there's this young college student who comes up to you one day and says, oh, I'm contemplating a career in, in Jewish education. Like, what would be your, your pitch to me to say why this is going to be a meaningful career for me to pursue? I think that this is the most meaningful career to pursue because you are going to affect not one child's life positively, not two children. Not, no, there are going to be hundreds and thousands of children who, because of you and the way that you teach them, Jewish values and Jewish ritual and Jewish text who are going to know that Judaism is a huge part of their lives and a positive part of their lives. You get to have that influence. So Aviva, as I've done with all of my previous guests on adapting, are you able to talk about an educator in your life, someone who inspired or transformed you in any way? Someone who really inspired me emotionally and in terms of Jewish feeling was a camp counselor somebody who sang with us on Shabbat and danced with us. And for me, that, you know, that was, that was such a high point. 
And another person who inspired me was my high school Talmud teacher who really taught us to dig into the, the, the text. And it was just so interesting, like a puzzle. And to this day, it's like, that's, the, that's my zone, you know, to be able to get into a piece of text. Really, though, what I would wish for my own kids or my own students is, you know, that they combine both of those people into one. That's what I'm hoping for. Aviva, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on today's episode of Adapting. I learned so much from you and you really pushed me hard to think about some of the questions behind why people should be valuing Jewish education as a profession moving forward. Thank you so much for having me, David. Today's episode of Adapting was produced by Dina Nussenbaum and Miranda Lapidas. The show's executive producers are myself, Karen Cummins and Nessa Lieben. And our show is engineered and edited by Nathan J. Bourne of NJB Media. If you enjoyed Adapting this season, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Even better, share this episode with a friend, someone who you think might even be contemplating Jewish education as a profession or their parents so that they can bring back that conversation in a positive tone to their Shabbos table moving forward. To learn more about the Jewish Education Project, please visit us at jewishedproject.org. You can learn about our mission, our history, our staff, and some of the really exciting projects we're doing, including those which advance the value of Jewish professionals in the educational spaces that we work in. As always, we are a proud partner of UJA Federation of New York. Thanks as always for listening. Be well.